This is Framework Leadership. I'm Kent Engel, and you're listening to Framework Leadership, a podcast about how to bring your personal life and organization to the next level. We're honored today uh, to have uh, a guest with us who is an exceptional leader, Dr. Elaine Thompson. Dr. Thompson serves as president and CEO of Lakeland Regional Health, bringing world-class care to Lakeland and the surrounding communities. Since accepting the position, Dr. Thompson has played a role in drastically improving the health care and wellness in Florida. Due to her dedication, Lakeland Regional has received numerous Best Place to Work awards, including recognition from Gallup, Becker's, Forbes, and the Florida Hospital Association. Let's start with a little bit about your background. You have, uh, I know, many years uh, of education under your belt. You received a PhD in biomedical science. How did you persevere through those years of, of obtaining quality education, training for what you are passionate about? It's so funny that you asked that. I guess I could start out with maybe not as serious of an answer as you would prefer for a first answer. But when I get asked those questions, I go back and I reflect. And so I have one sister. The two of us were um, raised by parents who had not gone to college and had really encouraged the two girls to go to college. And so my sister's older. She said she'd be a teacher. So, of course, being the younger um, sister, I would not be a teacher because I would not do what my older sister did. So I decided I would be a nurse. And so I went back in the olden days, as I am 63, you would go to a school of nursing, not so much a bachelor's of science program in nursing. And so the day of the nursing exam that you would need to take as a sophomore, as a junior in high school, was actually a day that the senior asked me out on a date. And Mm. I had this dilemma about, all right, do I go take my nursing exam or do I go out with the senior? (laughs) And as many teenage girls would decide. Sure. I went out with the senior. senior. (laughs) And so after that, I kind of missed the opportunity to apply to nursing school. Coming from the state of Pennsylvania, my next dream was, okay, I'm going to go to a school with the name Pennsylvania in it. So again, with parents that had not gone through college journeys, it was limited advising. So I looked at Penn State. I looked at the University of Pennsylvania, not really that the University of Pennsylvania was an Ivy League school because we didn't really know what Ivy League schools were in the environment I raised. And when I looked, I looked at their catalog. There was a physical therapist there walking a child with disabilities. And I was like, oh, that is my calling. That's what I want to do. And I was so fortunate to get accepted to Penn and actually had a full scholarship to Penn, given my family had been a modest income. So I need to thank that senior for that career path. And the fun of that is that senior is my husband. And I've been married to that senior now for 40 some years. And so I'm not quite... work with a lot of nurses, but um, loved being a physical therapist. And most of my other educational experience was from then moving up in physical therapy. Now, you began your role as president and CEO in 2010. How has your passion for healthcare uh, changed over the changing context of where healthcare has been going? And how do you navigate that? Again, a difficult question because our environment right now in healthcare, I think, is probably one of the most complex industries. It's one of the hardest challenges to fix, um, you know, going forward. Um, I would say if I go back 10 years ago, what drew me to the position here at Lakeland was that I was coming to an underserved community. Mm. Um, we're the sixth or seventh poorest suburban county in the country. At that point, we had an emergency department that was the largest emergency department in the country, which really usually seeks to underserve not having access to doctors. 
but more access to um, hospital situations. Um, so being passionate about bringing healthcare to the underserved, it was absolutely for me um, a, a dream role and a dream leadership opportunity. And the first thing we did was just to make sure that we raised the level of respectful care in that organization. So if you did seek care in the emergency department, you quickly either went home or you went up to an inpatient bed, but we did not board you. We did not put you in a hallway that we realized that if we were going to add meaningful care, it had to be at that basic kind of ground zero level. And I would say early in my 10 years there, we worked a great deal on just operational improvements. As most leaders do, I think once they get some of those operational improvements under their belt, you're able to rise up a little bit and take a look at more global aspects. And most of my work now, I believe, is really trying to help the community understand the policy issues as they're related to the governmental payers and how that affects the business community as we try to give every American health care. Right. That's good. Now, since becoming uh, president uh, and CEO, Lakeland Regional has, has drastically improved and expanded, as you, as you mentioned. How would you describe your process when it comes to creating transformational strategy? Uh, because uh, obviously you have to lead people. Everything's accomplished by, with, and through people. So how do you, what, what does that strategy look like for you? You know, I, I think that strategy begins with making sure that you are able to work with like-minded individuals that have the same culture, same passion as you do, or the mission of your organization has in addition to just yourself. And I think that's the secret sauce at Lakeland. First of all, it starts at the board of directors. You know, I've had the opportunity to be involved in healthcare for over 40 years now, but this is by far the absolute strongest governance over a not-for-profit health system I've had the ability to be part of. The um, integrity of each and every member of this board as it relates to being selfless, never putting any other personal needs, never any other business needs, in front of what they're here to do, which is to govern healthcare, has been very, very motivational. And so I really do believe that a leader has to be inspirational. A leader has to be someone that the integrity is worth following. And so this starts at the very top of our organization with our board of um, trustees and our board of directors. You know, I have an executive leadership council of about 16, 17 people that run our health system. And each and every one of them is recruited not just for their content and intellectual expertise, but it's also that selflessness sure. that we really try to embark. Um, we live by our promise statements, which is our form of values, talking about how we treasure each person is uniquely created, mm. you know, how we want to educate God with integrity, and how our job is to bring out the best in each and every one of us. And it's, it's truly, even as I talk to you right now, like I can get goose pimples talking about those promise statements because it is embedded in our culture. Um, you know, the sad part is just that the journey of trying to have perfect care is what motivates us. And probably that's my biggest challenge is, you know, every day we have 5,400 team members trying every day to be perfect. And, and it's hard. I'm, I'm sure other leaders have that in the same environment. There's no room for an error right. in our business. And I think that's the hardest leadership challenge. So you need to have selfless people, passionate people, 
But at the end of the day, they also have to be inspirational to help people through the good days and the bad days to make sure the journey of improvement can continue. That's powerful. You you were recently named in Becker's hospital review of 120 women hospital and health system leaders to know and their top 100 nonprofit hospital CEOs to know. What do you attribute to your personal success and leadership? Things that are are core to who you are and who you've become. Well, you know, I, I think a good way to answer that might be just to start with passion. You know, um, I always knew healthcare, even in that earlier story that I talked a little bit about, I was tending towards the nursing or tending towards the physical therapy issue, but we had blessed to have three daughters. And our, when our middle daughter was five, she was diagnosed with a quite large brain tumor. So obviously, as anybody's you know, kindergartner would be diagnosed, it was devastating to our family. Um, and at that point, I had not been entrenched in really the hospital healthcare system to the degree that I am today, you know, 30 years later. And watching the care and watching just the sadness of so many children going through journeys that they never did anything to deserve. You know, I, I think people can nonchalantly now say, oh, if you have diabetes, maybe it's because you weren't active or you didn't eat right. Um, not knowing that a genetic path really has set people onto that likelihood. But when you're in a room with several children that are struggling through, you know, brain tumor care and diagnoses and whatever, probably already took a basic passion of mine and just logarithmically, you know, set it off to be like, this is who I am and this is what I want to do is I want to make sure every healthy person does everything they can in their life to help anybody who's sick. And so probably starts with that inherent passion. But as you had asked before, like it's never a one person show. Mm -hmm. This is all about having the ability to garner the support of the community. And I say that in the broadest way to kind of have that passion to, to go forward so probably some of my success is this like deep-seated passion and hopefully the ability to kind of um, get that passion to be somewhat contagious. Sure, we don't absolutely. use that word carefully. Right. We, we yes. use that word carefully in my business. But um, so that you have all hands on deck rowing very hard for that, you know, same, you know, goal. Um, I think there's something to be said of hard work. You know, um, I, I don't think leadership comes without hard work. You know, I I enjoy, you know, being at the hospital. Um, Last night I was there at a midnight talking, you know, to team members. You know, I always try to round on Christmas Eve and just thank people for giving up their Christmas Eve. So I don't think this is something you can do like, you know, four hours in your office and not live it. So hopefully, I guess in summary, passion, hopefully I can get a whole bunch of people to have that passion. And then the end of the day, I think everybody probably needs to work hard. It's a hard lift in healthcare. That's good. You mentioned your family and I know family is important to you. How do you balance your work with your family? Well, that's, I guess that work-life balance question, right? Like you can read different authors saying, stop talking about that. It's all one life, right? It's how do you incorporate everything into your midst of it? Um, First of all, I'm blessed that that senior, you know, asked me out on that date. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think the ability for professional women to have it all, as some people describe it, is because you're fortunate to really find a partner that shares that vision and that dream that 
I'll be the best wife and mother I can be if I'm giving to community, you know, not just to family. And so I give him a huge amount of credit for all of what we are able to do in that space. Um, Our three girls, you know, maybe they lived on neglect a little bit, but we're great independent girls, Um, you know, and I think there's something to be said for it. You know, I, I think... Um, you know, we'd sit at the dinner table and everybody would have robust conversations about things that were happening in their lives. And I think it got them to be who they are today. And, and just people that I'm very, very proud of is they also are looking to give back to community in addition to having their own families. And so um, I think you have to just take every minute you have, you know, and just try to maximize it. If, you know, if I'm driving back from Orlando in a meeting, what am I thinking about? Okay, which one of my daughter's time zone would be okay that I could try to find them and see how the baby's fever was that night, sure. you know? So probably a little bit of multitasking in there as well. Um, but um, I, I, I have found it um, so rewarding to be able to be a wife, a mother, and also a leader. And, and, and speaking of leadership, I mean, I want to tell you just in the time that I've had the privilege to know you, I mean, you are one of the brightest, most charismatic leaders I have ever met. And you are definitely uh, an inspiration to those who um, who see your determination, who see your success and see your passion uh, with a balance of strong compassion. Um, and I just want to ask you, because we have, you know, Southeastern, we, we have incredible students that come our way. And a lot of them listen to this podcast. What would be one piece of advice, especially leadership advice, that you would give young people starting out who really want to serve? You know, I, 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 young. I, first of all, I just love young people in general. You know, um, I had the opportunity to teach college before I went into full-time hospital administration. And Anything we can do to just not put barriers in front of their eyes is what I would say, mm-hmm. is to try to have them as globally oriented. And I mean that geographically globally oriented, sure. politically oriented. Um, and that's what I would encourage a young person to do, is to try not to get themselves too quickly in one lane, mm-hmm. to really take the time to explore multiple lanes, and I I use the word lane casually, but, you know, let's say you want to be a finance major, and that's fine, but, you know, I do think that's a wonderful way of also making sure you're good in the sciences and you're good in the humanities. So you open up your wealth of um, other people's opinions and knowledge and skill sets. So when you do decide the lane that you want to drive in, it's a much richer lane because you have that background. So I think asking questions, getting out of their comfort zone. Mm. Um, you know, I, I recently you know, read an article about what elders should do as we start to approach retirement sure. ages. And they said, be careful to not to um, hide away from fear. Because probably one of the best things for elders would be to take on some fearful things. Because youth will do that and their box doesn't close down. But as you get older... You get a little bit more scared. Oh, I won't travel here. I won't do that. I won't try to ski. And it was an encouragement to say, don't narrow your box. So I think what we should do for the youth is encourage them maybe to triply open up their box, give them every opportunity they can, because every opportunity I think is such a learning opportunity for them. And, And it's evident one of your passions in particular is empowering young women for executive leadership. 
can you share with with us some advice you might give to to our ladies in the audience who want to have the kind of impact that you have had in in executive leadership? If I were to give some hints to women as they try to move up into leadership, um, I would look back at some of the mentors that I've had. I, I was very fortunate to work in some of the best health systems in the country prior to coming to Lakeland as well. And as part of their executive leadership development, we were often assigned executive coaches that would really work with us um, in our meetings. They would do assessments of us and they would say, okay, you could be a better leader if you could think about A, B, and C. One of those assessments that several of those executive coaches did that resonated with me was a Myers-Briggs assessment Mm. that looks at understanding just the four basic personality types and who you are, Um, whether you're, you know, an extrovert or whether you're an introvert and how you process your information, whether you're a feeler or a thinker, you know, as far as how you'll make your decisions, you know, whether you look at big pictures or details, um, and also whether you like schedules or you like being more on your own, I think it's important to know who you are, first of all, mm-hmm. you know, and so, uh, you know, I know that um, I'm an extrovert. I know I make my decisions by logic. I'm a big picture girl and I like some flexibility, but I prepare early for things. More important than I think for a female executive even to know themselves, I think they need to try to judge the Myers-Briggs personality of the other people in the room. Mm. One coach said to me, men are still not all that comfortable with female leaders because there's just not, it's not 50-50 yet. Mm. You know, look at Fortune 100 companies. You know, I just came back from the Florida Hospital Association Board of Directors, probably 17 directors, there's two women. And they said, if you really understand the males that you're in a room with, you will understand how to adjust your behaviors to make them more comfortable with your leadership style. So for example, let's say I'm an extroverted person. I'm going to talk through my issues, but I'm with a gentleman leader who's not. I'm very sensitive not to talk too much, but to ask him a lot of questions. If he's expecting me to be a feeler, because what, like 70% of women are feelers, and I'm a hardcore math engineering major, right? right? I know not to start the conversation with, hey, I saw this on a spreadsheet. This is what I want. I'm starting off with, how's your family? Mm. Like, how was your day? Even though that's not my natural, but I know in order for that person to have confidence in me, they have to relate to me first before I I get to where I need to be. I really do think women right now, because we are still in the minority, have to do that extra step Mm. and really try to make sure the men that we are with that are influencing our careers really come to respect who we are because we've adjusted our schedule somewhat to get where we are. So I would say that's one. The number two is women have to get much more comfortable talking about money, handling wealth, and not being afraid of that. I, when I'm out lecturing to women, you know, one of the one things I said is, I don't care if you like math or not, but never again have what comes out of your mouth. I can't do math. I said, tell me the last time you were with a bunch of guys that would say, oh, I can't do math. And so I try to really encourage them that all of us can figure out 25% of a dress off at Nordstrom's. We can handle math. So just kind of let's, let's move on from that. Let's really encourage our girls to be in STEM. Let's encourage our women to can't handle P&Ls, to feel very comfortably about talking about our raises, our income. Because once we control 
wealth, we can do great things with wealth. It's not a selfish wealth effort because when you put women in leadership, we tend to be more ethical. The integrity level is high. We work hard. Many studies have just come out even more showing that. So we shouldn't be embarrassed to say, give us the wealth because we probably will do great things in the world once we're handed more of that wealth. Yeah. Two more questions before we close our conversation with our fast round of uh, three questions. Uh, it, it was announced in February that you've decided to retire at the end of your contract in 2020. How, how did you come to this decision and uh, what's next? Yeah, uh, it's, it's a good question. And so, um, you know, I'll be 65. I've been in this organization for 10 years and I love it. I'm passionate about what I do, but it's a time in this fourth chapter that I'd like a little bit more flexibility. I think I'd like to go back and be um, a time to take all of the practical operational expectations experience I have and turn it a little bit more into an intellectual pursuit. Hmm. Probably Lane Thompson wants to go back into a Dr. Thompson mode a little bit more, do a little bit more research, try to um, see if I can affect policy with some of my own, you know, efforts and research. So I think it's a time for me to shift gears a tad. Um, And I will enjoy the flexibility for a little bit more family time. In addition to the three girls, we have six grandchildren now. And they're spread as far as you can go. I mean, I have one in Washington <laughs> State, some in Virginia, some here. So I, I think the grandmom and me will kick up a little bit. But I actually want some quieter time to think more. Yeah. One thing I know in the process of your announcement, you also um, announced a, a succession plan uh, with your retirement. And and the way that is being rolled out is, is I think, brilliant. Um, how, how did you go about creating that succession plan and, and actually you're finding your replacement. Yeah. I, I, I'm so pleased with everybody's, um, I, I guess, journey of this transition plan, but I would say it all started with Publix as when you're in Lakeland, it's always so nice to be able to say it all started with Publix. So we have a great relationship with Publix and their leadership. And, you know, we were in dialogue with um, their chairman of the board and said, how does Publix do their succession planning? And, and, really was the encouragement that if you're looking at changing the top position, this is not a one year, bring somebody in, fly them in for two days and you hire the new CEO, but this is a journey that needs to start five years beforehand. And you really look at grooming the number two. And so we were blessed to recruit Danielle Drummond about six years ago. Danielle is a biomedical engineer from Washington U. She has her master's in Marquette in health information technology she um, holds four patents in her name when she was part of the GE design team for CAT scanners, did um, GE consulting before came into hospital administration and leadership. So she has served in roles of vice president of quality and safety, vice president of strategy. But for the last several years, she's been our executive vice president and chief operating officer for our system. Under her is our medical center, our physician group, and all design and construction. And so just a brilliant, brilliant powerhouse who I've been so fortunate has been my number two in the organization. So when I announced that at the end of my contract, I you know will be leaving, the um, board said, okay, let's first really study the number two. Um, they brought in a um, consultant, um, Diversified Search, that did a position description, did additional assessments, a 360 on Danielle. The board interviewed her and over a six-month process came to the decision that we are going to go with Danielle. We, they could do no better. And so in the summer, they appointed her as to be my successor starting January of 21. And now it's allowing us six months to hire the new Danielle. So we're in the midst right now of doing a national recruitment for a new executive vice president, chief operating officer, 
hopefully that person will be in place by kind of March, by the time the recruitment, the relocation occurs. And then Danielle can transition her role to that new executive. And then in the last six months, we're really asking Danielle to build the next five-year strategic plan. And in addition, you know, transition more through the governmental relationships, the donor relationships that I do a little bit more as CEO. So the timing's long in some ways. And when we really start making our task looks of what needs to be done, we're coming out saying we think it's pretty perfect. Yeah. But I I, want to tell you, I applaud your succession plan because most organizations do not do that well. And this is an outstanding example of that. You know, it's been a real compliment for me as I've watched the board go through this. And I'm, I'm very appreciative of them. And what has been described to me if folks like the trajectory the organization is on, right. that is when they tend to really go with, you know, an internal candidate and hopefully the internal candidate can just accelerate the improvements. Um, and so it's, it's kind of, to me, just the ultimate compliment that where we've started to head will go forward. And I do believe the people that are taking on the organization now are better than people retiring. And I hopefully will see those goals even accelerate more. One final question. Uh, what is one thing about the current healthcare industry that you really want to see changed? Well, I think it's broader than um, the healthcare industry. So if I, if I had my wish, I would love to just go and have a dialogue almost with every American and say, please stop saying that you don't want to pay taxes. Mm. You know, I, I think we're in such an unhealthy space with that because if you talk to every citizen, what do they want? They want good education. Right. They want good health care. They want good roads, infrastructure, water, and they want defense. And we all come together as Americans to put money in a pot so that everybody gets good education, good health care, a street in front of them, you know, safety if we need it, defense when we need it. And, and my frustration is now that we have so many people that are anti-tax. And, and they relate that to, so what are, when you say anti-tax, are you anti-education? Are you anti-healthcare? Do you want no roads? Like what part of that? So I would love to have the ability to have that dialogue. And, and I know there's some critical people that feel the government is wasteful, perhaps. But, you know, anybody could come into anybody's organization. I mean, I don't care who it is. I, my PhD is in engineering science. I bet you if you put me into any organization in America, being on a little bit of that lean engineering background, I could find waste. Mm. So I think we should be careful to criticize right, right. any other person's organization with the rules that they have. But fundamentally, I, I would love to say every child deserves a very good public education. And if you're in a poor community, you may need to send more in that school as opposed to what we're spending in wealthy communities. And if you're in a poor for healthcare you might need to spend more for healthcare, not hit them on penalties because there's a readmission that once you discharge these people, there's no doctors that will take care of them because they don't have, you know, a check. So that would be the dialogue that I would encourage for us is to try to have people really talk about what do they want and what are we willing to pay for what we want? And I, I think it would raise us up in a new level. All right, we're going to close this conversation out with three quick questions. I ask every guest on on our podcast. The first one is, you have a day when your calendar is cleared and you're mandated 
to have a perfect day off, what does that look like? That's walking in the woods. Oh, wow. There's, there's no, we have a cabin in Blue Ridge, Georgia that I never get to see <laughs> because I kind of always work in, but you could start me off in the woods at six in the morning and I would come in six at night and just let me hike. And so wow. that's an easy answer for me. All right. You, uh, one historical leader living or dead, would you most love to have a cup of coffee with? Oh, Ben Franklin. Uh, that's so easy. I mean, if you look at him from the um, innovation, if you look at it from the scientists, but also starting the first hospital, I mean, that's right. Absolutely. That's right. Ben Franklin. Yeah. All right. Final question. Uh, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, but what's the next dream? You know, the next dream for me is to figure out a way that I can contribute to the purpose that we just kind of got done talking about. Like I am passionate about trying to figure out a way to get every person access to the right health care, preventative health care. And that's what I would like to do is to see if I can somehow be even a greater advocate than what I have been in this journey where I've been so operationally, you know, focused. So I don't know what that answer is yet, but if I could continue to broaden people's minds and passion to help those that are ill, that would be heaven. Yeah. Well, Dr. Thompson, this has been a powerful conversation. And and again, I just want you to know that um, you are uh, an amazing leader, a gifted uh, leader who knows how to empower. And that's so important. And, and, a, and an empowering leader is a servant leader. and You embody that. And, and you lead change that not only produces growth, but you lead change that creates health. And um, yeah, and every time I'm around you, I want you to know I learn and I grow <laughs> as a leader. So ditto, thank ditto. you. Uh, well, it's been a pleasure to talk with you today. And for more information on Dr. Elaine Thompson, what's happening at Lakeland Regional, uh, you can visit it's mylrh.org, mylrh.org. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. To connect with Kent, visit kentingle.com. Also make sure to follow him on Twitter at Kent Ingle and on Facebook at Kent.ingle. Thanks for listening to Framework Leadership.